Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Hello, today I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend and also my brother-in-law. Can you always put that in the same sentence, a friend and a brother-in-law. This is Mark's sister's husband, Steve Bergeson, and they hail from Iowa, and we love them so much. Steve has many hats, and Steve, just tell us a little bit about your family, perhaps your business, your ministry, and then we'll get into the legacy. Well, uh, it's so good to be with you, Sue, and probably the best part of my story is uh, my wife. We met when she was 15 and I was 17, and Mark and I James High School, and uh, neither Anne or I were Christians when we met and started dating, but we've, uh, we've been married for 42 years, and we've had, uh, we have three children, uh, Casey and is our oldest, and Andrew as our oldest son, and then Jordan, and uh, each of our kids are married happily, and they have great spouses. They all live within a couple blocks of us in Ames, and we're wow. business. And, uh, and, uh, and we have eight grandchildren. And um, so our lives are full. Um, the, um, you know, as you get older, the, the, you start looking at what are the things that are most important in your life. And, you know, our kids are doing well. They're walking with God. They're, you know, experiencing struggles just like everyone else. But uh, it, we get a lot of joy just seeing them. Um, uh, striving and struggling in faith and life and, you know, to learn how to be godly and how they live their lives. And it's just fun to have them in our back, back door. Yeah, we, we work together, we play together and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's messy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Tell me about the business uh, so that the listeners understand that you, you said you're in business together, but your voice cut out. So say that again. And what businesses do you have? Well, um, Anna and I were with Campus Crusade for five years. Our fifth year, we lived in Vienna, Austria in 1983, and we fell in love with cafes and the coffee culture in Europe. We weren't coffee drinkers, but then a seed was planted that someday we wanted to open up our own cafe, and we opened up Bergie's Coffee Company in 1992. Hmm. And, uh, I was a pastor in a local church. I was using it as a way to connect people with coffee and uh, helping them uh, tell their stories and understand the stories that God had brought them into. And uh, that's turned into some other businesses because we support ourselves in our ministry through our business and I'm probably a serial entrepreneur. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's a sickness, my wife says. And a sickness, you said? <laughs> why, why would your wife say it's a sickness to be an entrepreneur, Steve? Well, uh, you know, it's just that um, part of being an entrepreneur is coming up with ideas and trying to figure out how to make them work. And that's the part of my brain I have a trouble turning off because I'm always looking at ideas. They just come mm-hmm. to me. And uh, Anne is uh, more of an engineering accounting type, very creative. And so we just, um, you know, so I... I ideas are exciting to me. I love seeing how they connect people to uh, 
how work and ministry is integrated. Uh, there's no secular and sacred in our world. It all belongs to God. And, and so it gets exciting to see how that, how God shows up in the workplace. Hmm. And so, when, what do you mean when you say that you support your entrepreneurship or your business supports your ministry? What do you mean by that? Well, um, it's not compartmentalized and we're, you know, read the new Testament, the apostle Paul and Apollos were tent makers by trade. And, uh, in Corinth, they lived in the same, uh, home, I think, and they were uh, making tents and selling tents in the marketplace, but they were using that strategically to preach the gospel and connect people to their work. I mean, to, to the work of God. And so I just, uh, Often I, I grew up early on in my Christian life thinking work was something that was secular and ministry was something that was sacred. But, mm-hmm. but now I just don't see it that way because I think I've kind of grown in my understanding of of the progress of the gospel and the role that our work plays in that. Uh, can you give us a story or an example of how God used your workplace or your work uh, your business to bring people to himself, either a Christian who needed some encouragement or someone who n- had never known Christ before? Well, that's a, that's a very important question. And I, I would just say it's daily. I, wow. Daily. Yeah. It's just like uh, everyone that comes into our life uh, really is a divine appointment. Um, that you mentioned Colossians chapter four, but being alert and being in prayer and seizing the opportunities that are in open doors into people's lives. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, I could tell a thousand stories of different people uh, that come into our work and there's a connection somehow with life. It might be, uh, I remember a, a Colleen who was standing in line for coffee and she just looked dejected and I didn't know her that well but I happened to be there and I just asked her what was what was wrong because she looked troubled to me and she broke down and cried and said that she had just found out she had cancer oh wow you know and I just put my arm on her shoulder and just started and just asked her if I could pray for her and prayed for her healing and you know 15 years later she's a a dear customer of ours and God's (laughs) her and that was just one slice of life. And, uh, you know, we have a couple convenience stores. They're more marketplace, but we, we sell everything convenience stores sell. So we, we really get all sorts of people coming into our business. And I just look at them as, uh, you know, opportunities to connect. And um, we, we also have Bible studies that we do and sponsor through our business because, uh, uh, I've, I've, I've thought for a long time when we opened up a coffee shop, I didn't want to be a quote unquote Christian coffee shop. I wanted to be Christians who are in the coffee business. But when you come into our store, you're not going to see, you know, a, a bunch of Bible verses on the walls, but you're going to see people that are ready to connect you with further conversation and dialogue. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and so when we're talking about legacy, because this is talking about making our lives count, I have seen you make your lives, life count for years, Steve. But, um, you know, we're on, the, we're on the south side of age 50, you and I. And uh, 
I tell everyone, it doesn't matter how old you are, that every day we do something that uh, we can do something that builds into eternity. So don't wait till you're 87, not that you're 87 or myself, but don't wait until we're so broken down that we go, oh gosh, I wish I would have done something that meant something. So what kind of legacy are you hoping to pass down to those who know and love you? You know, Sue, when you brought up the word legacy, I had to go to the Webster and look the word up. <laughs> Good. Well, you were a basketball player, not an English major. So that's, that's exactly right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's something transmitted by or received from an ancestor, predecessor from the past. And, you know, it's just interesting to think about that because uh, I, I see uh, this pass on a, 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 a love for God and a love for people that's authentic and uh, uh, sincere. Uh, that's what I want to pass on to my kids. And, um, and to do that, I, I, it's got to be real and it's got to be authentic. And I like the word messy. Mm. Because, um, you know, what gets in the way of all of that is hypocrisy and dualism and, you know, um, and so I just, when I just think about what is it that I want of pursuing God and pursuing people uh, out of the brokenness of my own life um, that is um, um, compelling me to want more of God in my life and, and recognize it. I, I just don't have it in me. You know, like I don't have love for people. It's not a natural byproduct. It, it's a direct result of God's work in my heart. And, and I want my kids seeing me fighting for that and, for, and, and not, uh, not becoming complacent and not settling, you know. In, so in what can you, uh, let's go into that a little deeper. I think it's great. It's humble to say, I'm fighting for it. But what, it, what does that look like when you're fighting for it? It's because there are some people that, of course, we naturally are drawn to, and then there's others who we aren't. And I know God puts those people in my life to teach me how much I need God and that I'm not a very good angel or saint without his help. So can you think of how you can explain that a little deeper? Well, I, I, when I say fighting for it, uh, it really starts – uh, within my own heart in relationship to the Lord. And I, I, the battle of, of getting up in the morning and getting on with my day and going a million miles an hour and, and, and operating on autopilot or getting up and coming before the Lord and, and, and being in the Word and uh, just crying out to Him out of a neediness and a poverty of my own soul that I need more of God in my life. And and I struggle. Uh, I'm 65, and so one of the issues as I move forward, uh, complacency in my life. Mm. It, it's a. I was startled when uh, I was reading in Proverbs, and it talks about uh, complacency is the death of fools. Hmm. It, it it was a word I had to look up, and because I I was struggling with complacency in my own life I was thinking about myself being approaching retirement and thinking about you know kind of the last lap of my life and I realized I was growing complacent 
And if you look the word up, it's living your life without, uh, 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 without being on guard, without a keen sense of the awareness of impending evil and danger that's right around the corner. When we become complacent, we really are falling asleep at the post. And so I, I, I think it really begins with my own personal striving to not be asleep at the post. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, that's great. Uh, I read something the other day, Eugene Peterson, in his commentary was saying that uh, there's a parable of three devils and, and Satan was saying, now what, how can we trip up? mankind the best and one devil said well uh uh, tell them that there's no god and the devil said oh no they knew they know deep down inside there's a god and the second devil said well tell them there's no hell oh no they're experiencing hell they know there's there's no no, there's a hell and the third devil says tell them there's no rush yeah there you go that's perfect and i thought wow that's so profound it gives me chills thinking there is not that we need to live at a frantic pace. I don't think that's what you and I are are promoting, Steve, when we talk about we're resting our whole lives daily before the Holy Spirit and saying, please help me live on guard. May I stay at my post, but only as we remain in him does any fruit come from that. Absolutely. And and I I do think so that 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 battle, that warfare, you know, is is the front line of anything I have to give to anybody, mm-hmm. you know, when I think about passing on any deposit of faith and practice to my kids or people around me, it's got to start dealing with my own heart and dealing with my own sinfulness and, and, and being confessional and in my relationship with Ann and, you know, people that I'm closest to, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, we, uh, not, 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 not tolerating the sin that's in us, you know, and, and then you start getting into little sins, little white lies, little compromises, little, uh, you know, uh, stories that get masked as no big deal. Do you ever feel like since you're working so hard on being, not being complacent and dealing with your own sin and watching someone else, um, continue to sin how do you approach that especially if it's someone close to you you cut out on that so oh, could you... sure and your voice cuts out on occasion too so that's why i'm asking you to repeat i think it's because in your office you're in your car <laughs> i love that uh i said uh you are i think god has brought you uh to a beautiful point of really just putting your heart and soul before him every day and asking him to root out those things which are not pleasing to him so that when you see someone else who is continuing to go away from God, maybe someone who's close to you, how do you deal with that without coming across as, you know, I'm doing this for God. Why aren't you doing this with God? You really need to change. I mean, how do you uh, keep from doing that? Because I know that would not go over well. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting how you phrase that because I, I really think that you know, blessed are those who are brokenhearted, for they shall enter the kingdom of God. And it's that brokenness of my sin and that, that you know, we, we all are Pharisees. We all have, we're self-righteous. We have, we, we're legalistic. It's in us. And mm-hmm. so 
as soon as I approach people, uh, if I'm not approaching them as, listen, uh, I'm the greatest of all sinners here. That's what Paul said. I'm the least of all saints. And we can either read that in the scriptures and say, well, that's unique to Paul. But what if every one of us were to think and understand themselves in that light? When, mm-hmm. I go to someone, uh, when I go to someone that's sinning or that's caught, uh, I'm, I'm removing the, the log out of my own eye before I go after the speck in their eye. I'm coming to them as a greater sinner than they are. Hmm. So I'm not coming boasting about what I'm doing. I should be coming to them in tears. I should be coming to them with empathy, with compassion, uh, because they're stuck like I get stuck. You know, hmm. there, there ought to be some way of identifying with someone else's sin to the degree that you're not judging them in their mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. I a wise counselor said once, um, when we are called to confront somebody, we should uh, hurt more than it's going to hurt them. Yeah. And so if it's not, then that's the time to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, we're, yeah. we're, we're matter at other people's yeah. sin. Yeah. Like, myself in this than my own sin right right. well i'm not sure how this legacy talk got turned around to talking about sin except that our legacy legacy is a much purer that we pass down of faith and love to our children because they know us really well and um they see authentic or not authentic christianity and they may question god based on the way that i might be a hypocrite so um the next question is, how are you currently able to do that? Is that, have you sort of already answered that or did you want to add more to how you're doing that? Well, uh, I think another piece to it is to, um, you know, I, I, when I look at my life and I, I consider, you know, who am I in relationship to who God is? Uh, well, first of all, I'm a, a man, a man of God, um, pursuing God. I, I'm a husband. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm, I'm a grandfather. I've got all these different roles and responsibilities, and everyone does. God has filled us with th- these, these roles and responsibilities at the different seasons of life. And I think p- part of, okay, how do I live my life successfully is getting a clear vision for God's calling on my life in each one of those roles and responsibilities and hmm. and to develop a insatiable appetite uh, for wisdom and his wisdom in my life because I don't I'm not wise I don't possess wisdom he does and, and cultivating a hunger and thirst for wisdom uh, and the Hebrew word for wisdom is really interesting it's skillful living and hmm. So part of my role, I think, with my kids and hopefully with my grandkids as they get older is I want to inspire them to be seekers of God's wisdom uh, and for them to understand that it's only in his wisdom that they can live life successfully, Hmm. truly successfully fulfilling his calling on their life. And and so that lifelong... Steve, Steve, your voice cut out again. Yep. Can you hear me now? Yeah. You started with inspire them to be seekers of God's wisdom. And, and develop a lifelong pursuit of his wisdom in our life. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's 
we're never full enough of it. We're never, you know, there's none of us that can say we're wise. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> and so, and I, and I do think that's an acquired taste. Why? Why do you say that? Why do you say that? Because, uh, one, his wisdom works. Hmm. And when we are deficient of wisdom, James says, if anyone asks, if anyone lacks wisdom, if he asks of God, God will shower it upon him. It's mm -hmm. caught back. And mm -hmm. so learning how to turn to God for his wisdom in our life is an acquired taste. It's like it works. You know, God promises to give it to me. And yeah. so when I'm fearful, when I feel inadequate, uh, instead of trying to feel adequate and trying not to be fearful, I just say, Lord, I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm fearful. Give me what I need to fulfill mm -hmm. what you called me to do. Mm -hmm. And that, that comes from him. And so mm -hmm. at the more we experience that in a moment by moment, day in, day out relationship, the more we want of it. it it's like an acquired taste. Mm -hmm. it, just give it a try. <laughs> wow. Wow. It reminds me, well, what's the verse in James that you say, if you ask wisdom, he will give it? Is it James 1, 5 or 8? I have to look it up. It's really the first, uh, the, the whole first 12 verses in James are so endearing. But mm -hmm. it's, yeah, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach. Hmm. And, I love uh, that. And then one of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. And it, it says, when the accent is dull, it requires much effort. But with wisdom comes success. This is like, what is this saying? Well, we're axe heads. <laughs> now we're instruments. And we have a responsibility to sharpen the axe head. Mm -hmm. And if we don't sharpen our axe head, if we don't develop these skills in, in, the, in Proverbs and learning how to speak, learning how to listen, learning how to uh, respond uh, when we're angry. I mean, it's all skillful living a godly life, but you have to go after it. But when we do, wisdom brings success. Hmm. It just, so knock, knock, who's there? <laughs> Basic. Uh, yeah, it's basic stuff. When you say success, what do you, what's your definition of success? Well, and that's a great question because right away we know what the world would say. Money. And, well, yeah, and I and I would define successful living of 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 someone who has a clear vision for who they are and who God is and what His calling is on their life, and they are going after. Uh, stewarding what he has put in them in growing and increasing effectiveness and usefulness and fruitfulness in their life and ministry. Hmm. And it's a, it's like we're stewards of what God has put in us. At the end of my life, have I been a faithful steward? Have I been growing and increasing in effectiveness and usefulness? And that's, by the way, right out of uh, uh, Peter. And it's in uh, uh, Second Peter, where he says, "For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." 
Hmm. What a sad testimony, a, a sad day when I get to the end of my life and I've been ineffective and unfruitful with my life. Hmm. So sad. And, 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 you know, we all want well done, my good and faithful servant, but the reality of it is we're living in the here and now applying his word and growing or we aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and well, so, one thing, I think the whole pandemic, I'm hoping that it would cause the world to realize that life is brief. And I think Americans in particular were so entitled and we're so well off compared to the rest of the world that we forget that we could actually die tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be a pandemic. We could just die walking across the street. But I think the great silver lining of the pandemic is to, or even a bad health diagnosis or a divorce or anything, is to wake us up, to stand by our posts, as you say, and to start that day to be effective and live successfully in that way. I love your definition of success. That's so great. I'll put it in show notes. Go ahead. Add one other thing, legacy-wise, because it's so important as we're talking about all of this. That um, Proverbs uh, says the righteous man stumbles seven times and gets up, but the wicked stumble and perish. Hmm. Part of pursuing God and living an authentic, transparent life is we're going to fail. We're going to stumble many times, and. One of the greatest things I think we can teach our kids and our grandkids is learning how to get back up. And, you know, I, I call, I, I just have this saying, but where's the North Star? You know, find the North Star as quickly as possible. And and as a follower of Christ, the North Star is the Holy Spirit. It's the, you know, like, because we all get lost along the way. We all, we all get discouraged. We all mm-hmm. get you know, like we're like John and, you know, is he the Christ or do I need to look somewhere else? Right. We get disoriented with the world that we live in. And the sooner we can just acknowledge that and say, Lord, I'm lost here. I've gotten off the path. Look at the last verse of Psalm 119. Oh, my goodness. The last verse of Psalm 119, he says, I'm like a sheep that's gone astray. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Like after the whole psalm of declaring the excellencies of God and meditating on his word day and night, and I love thy law, the law is a lamp unto my feet. After all of those lofty things, he then looks in the mirror and he says, but I'm like a sheep that's gone astray. That's a comfort though. I find that a bit of a comfort. Oh, it is. Disappointed <laughs> in us. Just get back on the path, baby. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this real quick and then we need to close. If someone heard listening today says, well, I don't, you, when you're talking about your uh, definition of successful living, to know a clear vision of who God is and the roles that God has called you to, what if they don't have a clear vision of themselves as far as the role that God has called them to? What action points or advice or counsel could you give them um, just so that they are comforted? I know that we're all lost sheep, but as far as our calling like my calling keeps getting redefined or redirected a little bit as i stay attuned to god so what would you tell them to help to help them find their calling well this is such a great question and it's such a ridiculously simple answer (laughs) good in in, uh, the scriptures paul writes or the author of hebrews i can't even remember where it is it might be in romans but 
a calling to return back to the simplicity and devotion of your faith. And, and you know, when they asked Jesus, what was the greatest of all commandments? There were 613 commandments he could have deciphered out, and he did, and he came up with this, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So at the end of the day, um, you know, our calling is to love God and love people, mm-hmm. and serve God and serve people. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes people get confused, like they're they're trying to find what is the ministry that God's called me to? And it's right here in front of you. Go out and love and serve people. Go out and love and serve God. And, and, and don't try to find any sense of adequacy in yourself to do that because you and I are completely inadequate to fulfill what he's called us to do. I find that such a comfort. Thank you, Steve. You've really encouraged me today because I'm feeling a little inadequate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and trust the Holy Spirit you know, mm-hmm. to lead you into opportunities and open doors, but don't confine your ministry to, well, I, my ministry is to college kids, or my ministry is to the elderly. Like, why, why do you put a narrow box around your ministry when you're going to come across someone tomorrow that, that needs your help? Right, you know? right. And they might need your practical help, like a loaf of bread. <laughs> like, usually it starts there. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's so great. Well, Steve, this has been a delight. We'll have to have you back in again. And I'm not sure when this is going to be published, but whenever it is, it's going to hit the people who need to hear it. So praise the Lord for you. I'm glad we're related and that we can talk uh, even more than just on a podcast. God bless you. All right. Love you, Sue. Love you too. Thanks so much. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.